everyone. Welcome to our fourth episode of Psychopathology, the podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about depressive disorders. So there are three different types of depressive disorders, and I'm just going to be talking about them and explaining them, and I'm basically going to react to them or ask questions in real time. That is correct. That is correct. So I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of Psychopathology, Psychopathology the podcast. I want to thank all of you guys who voted on our Instagram poll for today's topic. A lot of you guys wanted to see depressive disorders be discussed today, which has a lot of content to talk about because there are just so many specifications that come in place when talking about diagnoses. So the very first disorder that the DSM mentions about depressive disorders is a disorder called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder or DMDD. The core feature of DMDD is severe recurrent temper outbursts manifested verbally, right? And this can be through verbal rages and behaviorally through physical aggression towards people or property, right? Now, these temper outbursts are grossly out of proportion in intensity or duration to the situation or provocation, right? This is a very specific disorder that is only diagnosed between the ages of 6 to 18. Reason being is that symptoms of this disorder, excuse me, are likely to change as a child matures. Matter of fact, that's actually criteria C for the diagnostic criteria in the DSM. If we start to look at the diagnostic criteria, there are specifications that need to be met for a diagnosis of DMDD mm-hmm. to be given, right? Mm-hmm. These are the specifications. The temper outbursts are inconsistent to developmental level. What this means, right, is that it's unlikely for someone that age to act the way that they are acting, assuming that no other diagnosis is given, you know? So, for example, right, we are, you're 18, I'm 22, right? Right. One example of us acting out of proportion in consistent development, developmental level will be like, say I ask you to do something, right, or you ask me to do something, mm-hmm. and, you know, we were rejected. We said no. And say it was something really small, like, you know, can can I have a cookie, for example? Mm-hmm. For example, very bad example, but like, you know. Yeah. I'm 22. I have, you know, no other, you know, diagnoses, right? And when I hear no to that question, no, you cannot have a cookie, I start crying. Like, full on, okay. like, temper tantrum, okay. right? That is, you know unnormal for a 22 year old to do who doesn't have any other you know mental diagnoses right so that's what we're referring to whenever we talk about inconsistent to developmental level right another specification is that the outbursts occur on average three or more times per week so there is like a time and a duration criteria that need to be met And then the mood between temper outbursts is persistently irritable or angry most of the day, nearly every day, and is observable by others, right? Those others usually being parents, teachers, peers, just, you know, all of like the general, you know, individuals that this individual is surrounded Mm -hmm. by, if that makes sense. So these aren't like considered like mood swings? Not quite. This is more of like a consistent mood rather than like a fluctuating mood, if that makes sense. So they're they're always like this. Okay, okay. You know, and the symptoms must be present for at least 12 months for the diagnosis to be given, right? Mm -hmm. And it's only given between the ages of 6 to 18, right, as mentioned earlier. And they cannot go more than three months without having symptoms. Mm -hmm. So those are all the criteria that need to be met for a diagnosis to be given place. So as you can see, there are a lot of specifications Mm -hmm. that have to be met, right? 
And it's these specifications that distinguish the disorders that fall under the depressive umbrella, right? Because mm-hmm. they're very similar. There's just a lot of like specifications, whether it be with the duration of symptoms or the onset that really distinguish them. Right. We'll, we'll get more into that later. But as far as DMDD is concerned, this is actually a very common disorder amongst children, right? Uh, children are the only ones who will receive a diagnosis and DMDD has a prevalence rate of 2.5% in children. Oh, wow. Okay. There are a lot of temperamental factors that can contribute to a child receiving diagnosis. For example, right, some children just have a very short fuse compared to others and are more susceptible to being irritated by things compared to others. Some environmental factors like a stressful household can contribute to a diagnosis, and there are also some genetic links as well, right? For if family members have had a history of depression, then that increases the risk of a child of developing DMDD. So this is not something that they're born with? It's something that develops over time? There have been some genetic links, mm-hmm. right? But for the most part, I feel like this is more environmental. And right? you can't really, like, diagnose someone with this until they're older, right? Because if they're a child, they can just... Well, the, they have to be between the ages of 6 to 18 for diagnosis, oh, okay. right? And this is, only, this is something that's only diagnosed for kids because it's most likely kids that right. um, have these behaviors. These behaviors, most of the time, usually phase out. You know, once you get older and once you're an adult. So Mm -hmm. that's why this diagnosis is reserved specifically for children. So there isn't really, like, a cure. It kind of just mellows as you get older? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there's there's treatments that are given to help the child cope with, you know, their irritable moods, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, we're not saying that, you know, whenever someone is diagnosed with DMDD, we just wait for the, we just wait for the symptoms to mellow out. Right, no, we don't right. like, you know, there's still a lot of you know, treatments and like therapeutical goals that can be discussed in sessions to help out with those symptoms. But yes, the reason why adults are not diagnosed with DMDD is genuinely because adults just don't, you know, showcase these behaviors. Right. They just don't, you know, they're, they're just grown up and they just learned throughout the years to control their emotions and to not get so annoyed over things so we just don't see adults acting this way that's why it's just reserved for children mostly yeah so aside from dmdd we also have major depressive disorder this is usually the disorder that one refers to when they say i have diagnosed depression right Mm -hmm. so major depressive disorder what is it It's a period lasting at least two weeks in which there is at least one depressed mood or one episode of lost interest and lost pleasure in activities. Most of the time, both of these occur at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. In order for a diagnosis to be given, at least five of the following nine symptoms must be met. Mm -hmm. So what are the nine symptoms? Number one, depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by either a subjective report from the patient, right? So the patient reports themselves feeling sad, empty, hopeless, Mm -hmm. or an observation made by others about the patient, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they appear really tearful throughout the day, for example. That's an observation made by someone else. Mm -hmm. Number two, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities for most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated, by either subjective account or observation, right? Number three, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight Mm. gain, right? Or a decrease in appetite nearly every day, right? Number four, insomnia or hyperinsomnia nearly every day. Mm -hmm. Number five, 
psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day mm-hmm. okay now that doesn't mean right like mental retardation that right. just means like your psychomotor activities either speeding up or slowing down that's right. what that's referring to just so we're clear right. all right and then number six fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day mm-hmm. number seven feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt which may be delusional mm-hmm. right? nearly every day number eight diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day and finally the last symptom recurrent thoughts of death or recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt okay so these are stuff that need to be like reoccurring consistently how many times do you think this person needs to like experience these thoughts in order to be diagnosed with something like this well the dsm likes to say most of the day nearly every day right so it would have to be more often than not for about a week you know so yeah the official dsm wording is most of the day nearly every day so these all look like the general depressive symptoms that the general public can recognize right Mm-hmm. that's because this disorder is so common and so talked about affecting over seven percent of the general population in the united states according to the dsm mm-hmm. the age group that it affects the most is between 18 to 29 year olds oh, wow. so i'm actually curious to get your opinion on this you know why do you think that that age group is the most affected by depression you know you and i are both in that age group and so is like 90 percent of our viewers you know, so maybe we'd understand better, but I feel like there are no wrong answers to that question. You know, why do you think individuals between the age of 18 and 29 are the most affected by depression? Yeah, I think, I feel like because it's that transition to like adulthood and, you know, everything comes at you all at once, mm-hmm. maybe that can be like the biggest toll of like worry and anxiety which can lead to depression because i think that's when you're finally realizing okay i'm adult i need to take things seriously and that sometimes scares people but um i think it's just that transition to adulthood that like affects people the most exactly yeah i mean there's no right or wrong answer to that question you know everybody has different factors that contribute to their depressive symptoms you know, some people it's just general life stress that they're unable to handle and they're unable to cope with. And some people it's more severe things, you know, like death of a loved one, right. you know, abuse, trauma, right? So it's a wide range of factors. Right. Yeah. So everyone has, right, different situations and factors that can contribute to depressive symptoms. That's why there's just no right or wrong answers as to what causes depression. It's all personal and it's all subjective. You know, the DSM actually does state under associated features, whenever you look at, you know, associated features for major depressive disorder, under that list for associated features, there have been some neuroanatomical, neuroendocrinological, and neurophysiological correlates of major depressive disorder, right? But no laboratory tests yet have yielded results of significant sensitivity to be used as a diagnostic tool for the disorder yeah they know neurological is the brain they know that (laughs) not everyone knows that well now you do (laughs) so look what i just said right essentially what this all means is that there's not enough data just yet to link any abnormalities in the brain or any neurological changes in the brain to depression just yet okay so they studied individuals who have major depressive disorder and they didn't find any abnormalities in the brain 
or any changes in the brain, right? So, like, physically, you know, there's no, like, changes in the brain. Mm -hmm. So this is just all emotional, right? right? That's why it's called a mood disorder, okay? So, the level of impairment is also very wide amongst those who are diagnosed with MDD. For some, impairment could be so mild that you won't even be able to tell that they're depressed. For others, impairment may be so significant that the depressed individual is unable to attend to basic self-care needs or is mute or catatonic. What's catatonic? Essentially means that they're relying on other people to do things for them. They can't do anything on their own. Uh (laughs) So, major depressive disorder is associated with high mortality, and a lot of that has to do with suicide. I feel like that could be a video on its own one day. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. One day we'll do that. <laughs> I literally have it in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> the possibility of suicidal behavior exists at all times during major depressive episodes. The most consistently described risk factor is a past history of suicide attempts or threats. These are probably the highest risk clients that we might see in a typical therapy setting. Every session, therapists would run what is called a risk assessment where they ask the client about plans or thoughts for suicidal ideations and if they actually have a plan in place, right? Not only if they have a plan in place, but also a means of carrying out that plan. Mm -hmm. It's important to ask if they have access to weapons for that information may bring out or rule out possible methods of suicide. Right. Meaning, you know, okay, you ask them if they have access to a weapon. They Mm -hmm. say they have access to a knife. So that may give us, right, a possible indicator of how this person might go about you know, committing suicide yeah. if they were. So, if the patient has admitted to having a plan in place and having access to weapons that they could use to harm themselves if they wanted to, we may see psychiatric hospitalization take place for that patient. Patients may be sent to a hospital where they would be strapped down most likely so that they can't harm themselves and they'll be receiving counseling, evaluations, and maybe medication while in the hospital. This is for like the most severe, like higher risk suicidal Have individuals. you ever seen that? We have, yeah. We get that at the crisis center quite often. Wow. Yeah. So, some other common traits for those with MDD that clinicians have noticed are tearfulness, Mm -hmm. tearfulness, right? So, teary-eyed. Irritability. Brooding, which means showing deep unhappiness of thought. Obsessive rumination. Anxiety. Phobias. Excessive worry over physical health. And complaints of pain. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of physical symptoms too. Mm-hmm. Despite all of this, mm-hmm. right? Despite all of this negativity that we just talked about, recovery from major depressive disorder is actually quite high, with recovery beginning within three months of onset for 40% of individuals with major depression and within one year for 80% of individuals. Oh, wow. So recovery is pretty damn high. A big factor on when a person might recover is how early they sought therapy. As the case with literally every single disorder, and I cannot stress this enough, okay? The earlier the intervention, the better, right? right? Meaning the earlier that you seek help, the quicker you'll recover. But at the same time, you have to be willing, ready, and motivated to seek treatment. Otherwise, it's not going to be effective if you aren't willing to be receptive to the therapist, okay? They can only do so much for you. They can only give you so many tools. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to take it, it's going to be useless. Yeah. Yeah. So what might the therapist work with you, you know, if you have MDD? What might you guys work on? That honestly depends on how severe your depression is. 
If it's mild, then we may just focus on some CBT-related stuff that teaches you how to replace your negative thoughts with more positive ones. What's CBT? Cognitive behavior therapy. It's essentially... I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. it's essentially therapy that examines your thoughts and your moods and your behaviors towards having those thoughts and moods, right? Very, very quick summary of it. It's more complex than that, but if I had to explain it, you know, in like five seconds, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. We also do what's called acceptance-based therapy. Right. What this does is it teaches you to accept your depressive thoughts and try not to suppress them. Okay. Simultaneously, you're also working on finding more positive alternatives. As mentioned before, the worst thing that you can do when you're having unwanted thoughts is to try to repress them and keep them in. Doing so will cause you to spite those thoughts even more. Yeah. Thus increasing your fear of those thoughts and thus causing them to be stronger and occur more often. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I always tell my patients treat unwanted thoughts like they are normal thoughts and you'll find yourself thinking about them much less thoughts are just thoughts and nothing more okay it doesn't mean that they're true or that they're accurate representations of us it's completely normal for us to have random you know wtf thoughts all the time but the moment we start repressing them and treating them differently than just any other thought that we have is when we might find ourselves getting stuck in what's called a thinking trap yeah i feel like everyone has experienced that constantly having like a negative thought in their head that they can't get out yeah but that's normal you know yeah and like when that happens you just want to treat it like it's a normal thought you know you don't want to treat it any differently because the moment you start doing that is the moment you start placing all this negative emphasis on that right. thought, thus making you fearful of right. having that thought making it stronger in your head yeah and more difficult to get out of that head yeah so what is a thinking trap a thinking trap is whenever you're fixated on an unwanted thought so badly that no matter how hard you try, it's impossible to get that out of your head. This is common amongst individuals with MDD and something that a therapist may work on with you. So, if your depression is more severe, like having suicidal ideations, then we may start to see some medication be administered by a psychiatrist. Medication will always occur simultaneously with therapy because we don't want you to become only rely on the medication mm-hmm. okay so the most common medication for mddr according to the dsm selexa lexapro luvox prozac paxil and zoloft i don't know anything about those okay i'm not a <laughs> pharmacist i'm not a psychiatrist right i'm just reading you know solely based on the dsm just in case anyone's curious now, there are a lot of side effects, however, with these medications, which is why over 50% of those individuals who are on medications end up stopping prematurely, okay? That data was provided by Lori and Linda, who we get a lot of our information yeah. from. Yeah. So, now, if you have been experiencing depressive symptoms for a really long time, and I'm talking like at least two years, then you might receive a diagnosis of persistent depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the third and final disorder mm-hmm. that we're going to go over today, right? Okay. So criteria A of PDD is basically depressed mood for most of the day for more days than not, as indicated by either subjective account or observation by others, just like how MDD, mm-hmm. right? So you either self-report it or other people report it mm-hmm. for you, right? Only difference is this has had to have happened for at least two years. So if it's going on for two years or more, that's when it becomes persistent, mm-hmm. okay? persistent depressive disorder right it also requires two of the following six symptoms per criteria b of the diagnosis so this one you only need two Mm -hmm. okay for mdd you needed five out of nine this one you only need two out of six Mm -hmm. what are those six so number one poor appetite or overeating 
Number two, insomnia or hyperinsomnia. Number three, low energy or fatigue. Number four, low self-esteem. Number five, poor concentration or difficulty making decisions. Mm-hmm. And number six, feelings of hopelessness. So you only need two of those, right? Just like major depressive disorder, those diagnosed with persistent depressive disorder cannot go more than two months without experiencing any of the depressive symptoms. And that's per criteria C mm-hmm. on the diagnosis. That's exactly what criteria C in the DSM would say under mm-hmm. persistent depressive disorder. Can't go more than two months without experiencing any symptoms. But yes, you know, the only major difference between persistent depressive disorder and major depressive disorder is just the duration of symptoms. You know, symptoms are required to be present for at least two years for the diagnosis to change from MDD to PDD. And all cases of PDD usually stem from having been diagnosed from MDD, right? So if you have MDD for more than two years, that's when it's no longer MDD, it's PDD. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, PDD is basically the result of not treating the symptoms for MDD. Right. Right. The onset and the risk factors will be the exact same as MDD, and it's much more important to risk assess for suicidal ideations for persistent depressive disorder simply due to the chronic feelings of depression that are associated with it. Treatment for persistent depressive disorder, like once we get to that point, treatment is quite challenging for therapists, and the reason why is kind of heartbreaking. Okay. Clients with persistent depressive disorder have been depressed for so long that they don't know how to be anything else but depressed. Okay, they straight up forgot what it's like to be happy and therefore may view therapy as useless. You know, they might think, what's the point? Okay, not always, but some clients may be in therapy for years simply because it's just going to therapy, you know, that takes so much time for them to really open up, right? Going to therapy just takes so much time for them and it takes a lot of time for them to really open up so that's why you they might be there for years yeah it's crazy stuff you know yeah yeah they're going to start saying you know what's the point of therapy and they're going to come up with excuses but having someone that they can just vent to and just use as like a set of ears has been proven to be helpful at the very least right and that's how the treatment process may start for pdd Clients may just start their therapy journey by just wanting a therapist to listen to them and not provide any feedback or advice until they feel ready, you know? So for the most part, like if you're a therapist, you know, for a long time, I'm talking like six months to a year, you might not be doing any work with the patient. You might just be there listening to him vent for like 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how long the sessions are. And you may not start working with him until probably like a year until he gets assigned to you. That's like worst case scenario. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, you don't want it to get to PDD, right? Yeah. You know, whenever a client is feeling depressed, you want to handle it right away. Because yeah. once it gets to persistent depressive disorder, then it's really, really hard to get out of that. Yeah. So there's also some comorbidity with borderline personality disorder. What comorbidity is, is essentially having, like, two disorders mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So... There's comorbidity with borderline personality disorder as well as some schizophrenic disorders, right? In extreme cases, we might see individuals with uh, persistent depressive disorder mask their depressive symptoms as a whole nother person, right? So that when they're sad, it's not actually them that's sad, but it's a completely different identity. And when they're happy, it's actually them that's happy, right? So there could be some disassociative identity disorder, formerly called multiple personality disorder that's also comorbid with pdd but not enough data is out there to support that claim okay it's and just, do people see themselves like that like 
basically like it's just what i was gonna say it's just like okay say i have pdd but whenever mm-hmm. i'm sad it's not like me that's sad it's like and you, another... you think that mindset not the therapist to tell you that yeah you think you that, think mindset, that you mindset you know you associate your depressive symptoms as like a whole nother person that, isn't like, that better though within you i mean not really because you know it's gonna be a lot harder to recover from that because you don't feel like you have the problem you feel like it's someone else that lives inside you that has that problem and then that also you know opens the door to multiple personality disorder which is a whole nother yeah very difficult process which we'll cover in a future episode for sure treatment for pdd is quite complex mostly due to the unreceptiveness of the client Mm-hmm. clients are usually unreceptive to treatment at that point because mm-hmm. they've just been depressed for so long they're like what's the point treatment focuses on reducing rumination and improving social relationships with others right so reducing that you know recurrent thoughts and just like reducing you know just sitting there ruminating in those thoughts do you think when people are like going through something like this it's better for them to be alone or for them to be no surrounded by people no usually people who are going through this are alone way too much they're isolated way too much and that's what contributes to their symptoms you yeah. know and they may not be open to being social with other people you know they may be completely comfortable being alone for the rest of their life and that's a problem because that's a contributing factor to their pdd so early on right whenever the therapist first starts working with a client they might want to just start by just improving that social circle Mm -hmm. just encouraging them to just go out and do a social activity Mm -hmm. for like they'll start it really small like 15 minutes a day yeah and they might go do it together you know it would be something very simple like okay we're just going to go outside and we're just going to go for a walk around the block and come back. Yeah. Because usually people with PDD stay at home all day by themselves, yeah. just alone. And like, you know, I'll ask you, okay, mm-hmm. like someone who stays at home all day by themselves and doesn't talk to anyone, they're bound to be depressed. Don't oh, you think, yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I stay home like a whole day and I get all like angry about it. Exactly. <laughs> like, now imagine doing that every day for two yeah, years. Yeah, you okay? can. Exactly. That's a lot. Eventually you become so used to it that like, you're just so against going out. You see the outside world as like evil, right? No. Based off of my experience. Yeah. You know, so early stages of the therapy might just focus on them getting that social, you know, interaction. Yeah. Right? Building that social circle. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a treatment called cognitive behavioral analysis system of psychotherapy or CBASP that was developed specifically for the treatment of chronic depression. CBASP uses three techniques, situational analysis, interpersonal discrimination exercises, and behavioral skills training, right? This highly constructed treatment assumes that people have become disconnected from their environment and lack feedback from people on how to handle interpersonal situations, okay? Let me say that again. Disconnected from their environment, lack feedback from people on how to handle interpersonal situations, doesn't that sound like someone who's depressed to you yeah exactly they don't want to be around anything exactly exactly Mm. the goal is to get clients to recognize how their depression contributes to and serves to maintain the interpersonal problems that are upsetting them so it's their depression that contributes to their problems right and that's what they have to recognize and as soon as they recognize that then they might start being more receptive to treatment Okay, yes, but also whenever you guys as, like, therapists diagnose someone with depression, or, you know, is there, like, 
response, like... What do you mean? Like, whenever you diagnose someone with depression, mm-hmm. like, what is their reaction once they hear something like that, usually? Well, usually, you know, we talked about symptoms of depression usually being self-reported. So the patient might already be expecting a diagnosis to be given because they self-reported those symptoms, you know? Right. Like a patient may come in saying they've been feeling really sad for a long time. This is why, you know, as a result, you know, they've lost a lot of weight without even trying. You know, they're having a lot of insomnia. They're having trouble sleeping. They're feeling fatigued most of the day. Like the patient already comes in self-reporting those symptoms. So there's never really like, um, like people who get that depression diagnosis aren't ever really like angry or upset about it like they no no because they're self-reporting their symptoms so in a way like they kind of already know that they're depressed in a way like does that make sense yeah, yeah like they're self-reporting sense. you know like yeah. they're coming to they're coming to therapy time. for depression right. okay. and then they're just getting an official diagnosis for it mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah so that was it, you know. These are really the three most common and clinically diagnosed disorders that are mentioned in the DSM. And, you know, they're the most common disorders that you're going to see in the field whenever you're working with, you know, depressive disorders, right? Yeah. I'm glad that we were able to cover treatments and onset about all of them, and I hope that everyone gains some valuable information as a result. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Tune in next week. Bye-bye.